Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, happy 4th of July. Happy 4th of July to you and all of our wonderful Americans out there listening. We have a great guest today. It's going to be a great show. We do. We're, we're going to try to break out of the cocoon today. We've got everyone's favorite, Evan Silva. He's the senior football editor at Roto World, co-host of the Fantasy Feast podcast, the editor of Warren Sharp's brand new 2018 football preview, which is which is just amazing. Evan, how's it going today? It's going great. It's going great. This is, you know, it's a great way to spend our holiday, our July 4th, uh, talking football. No yeah. doubt. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to jump right into it, Evan. We've got a lot to cover. I mentioned Warren's uh, football preview that is just released. Uh, judging by Twitter, it seems like a lot of people have that. I hope they do because it's an amazing collection of, of information. I've got mine and I'm honestly, I've been a little intimidated to break into it. It's it's so overwhelming, so much, so much data. You, as the editor, really got the first chance to take a look at all that, all that information, all that data that Warren put together, reading over that and, and contributing to that as well. What were some of the takeaways from that guide that you feel like might affect your decisions in fantasy this year or, or, or even beyond this year? I'm not sure I'd say that this takeaway will necessarily guide any of my own decisions, but I would say that after editing the book, it became really clear to me how NFL teams are still making so many suboptimal decisions of their own. Um, In so many cases, they're really just setting themselves up to fail. Like last season, the bears did nothing to help their rookie quarterback, uh, Mitchell Trubisky. They ran 50% shotgun offense after Mitchell Trubisky at North Carolina played in a 98% shotgun spread at North Carolina. Jordan Howard has been exponentially more efficient uh, on shotgun runs, but the Bears insisted on being an under center team. And the Bears didn't, they weren't good. You know, they were not a good team last year. They were never going to get a lot of wins or, or make the playoffs. But um, they, but I think that they could have fared much better. Um, just, you know, laying out their, the decisions that they made and the way that they went through. Uh, and, and ran their offense and they could have put their quarterback and their running back in much better positions to succeed. Now there was a team that was a good team and they just totally blew it. And that was the chargers, their bad decisions cost them a playoff spot. They were one of the best teams in the NFL last year. They refused to make Hunter Henry a full-time player when he had the best receiving success rate on the team. And he was also a great blocker in the first half of the season, they ran the ball on 60% of their first and 10 plays, which was the fourth most in the league. Their success rate on those runs was 26%, which was third worst in the league. The Chargers' success rate on first and 10 pass plays was 52%, which was fifth best in the league. But because they insisted on running the ball on first and 10 so often, their average second down play needed almost nine yards to go, and that was the fourth longest average of yards to go on second down. They couldn't figure out their kicker situation. Uh, there were a bunch of guys on the street who could make kicks. They wanted to go with you know this undrafted rookie, Young Ho Koo. Uh, they essentially wound up costing themselves two games uh, because of that. They started the season 0-4. They were basically out of the playoff hunt. Uh, despite finishing nine and three to close out their season. So, and they like in terms of personnel, 
you know, they belong in the playoffs much more so than the Bills. But their coaching was so bad that it cost them their season. And that's like that's just kind of sad, especially for a team. And Warren talks about this in his book. They moved to LA. They needed to like capture Los Angeles. The Rams captured Los Angeles. The Chargers mm-hmm. did not because they did a bunch of dumb things and they deserve what they got. But it's it's kind of sad for for the players, for Phillip Rivers. I mean, you know, dude's kind of in the and starting to enter the twilight of his career, and the coaching is so bad and the decision making around him is so bad that they are just they're they're just blowing it. It's interesting because this guide is awesome. I got it yesterday, late last night, and all I read was the Steelers section because I do a lot of Steelers stuff. And as I'm reading it, I'm just thinking to myself, when I go to camp, and I'm basically living at camp this year, I'm going to show this to Kevin Colbert. You know, like, this can help the team. I hope they know these things. Yeah, I've I've seen a few people make that point that I wish NFL teams – would use this type of information. Evan, I, I know that that's kind of been a frustration for you just listening to some of your other podcasts, following you on Twitter. You have grown frustrated that it, it seems like the answer is right there and NFL teams aren't using this this information. Yeah, and you know, Sigmund Bloom coined this term called the assumption of rational coaching. <laughs> and we have this idea that coaches do smart things, that they're using analytics and data-driven reasoning like we are to set our own expectations for what we think that they're going to do. But coaches in a lot of instances are irrational actors, especially the play callers, because they so often allow what happened the play before or the drive before or some archaic philosophy dictate what they call on a given play. And that's why last year, you know, on a more positive note, I, I don't like to just dwell in the negative, you know, but on a more positive note, we, we saw – and it was refreshing to see guys like Doug Peterson and Sean McVay make play calling advancements last year. The Eagles pumped success rates and win probability data into Peterson's headset. And you saw how aggressive they were on fourth down and how incredibly successful they were on third and long. They were just absurdly successful on third and long. And I believe that that was partly a byproduct of their fourth down aggressiveness. Sean McVay wasn't quite as analytical uh, necessarily, but he carved out an edge by hurrying to the line of scrimmage, um, you know, reading the defense with help from Matt LaFleur up in the box. Matt LaFleur, of course, now the Titans OC, and then telling Jared Goff to audible to an optimized play before the snap. And it took so much of the pre-snap burden off of Jared Goff and just made it a more quarterback-friendly offense. And these innovations, I think, are great to see, but I think that a lot of, a lot of teams are still stuck in the Stone Age. Just a, a small example for our listeners is throwing the running backs on the down. You know, like that doesn't sound like a big deal, but Warren lays it out really well in this book that that's a highly efficient way of attacking a defense, getting the ball in a very dangerous and powerful you know, ball carrier's hands early in the in the situation, getting ahead of the chains, and the two teams that throw the ball to running backs on first down the most the Patriots, and the Saints. They know a thing or two about this. So, Evan, I, I mentioned the the cocoon earlier, and um, this is kind of a, a term you coined, just referring to some of what we've been talking about, these teams that have just been stuck with this old mindset. I don't know, in, in education, I'm, I'm a third-grade teacher, and we talk a lot about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. And it seems like so many teams, unfortunately, have that fixed mindset of 
whatever's worked for the past 10 or 15 or 50 years is what we're going to keep doing. And you've talked about that a lot on Twitter, a lot on other podcasts. So we're not going to get too deep into some of those discussions you've had uh, already. But what we want to do today is think about the cocoon from a fantasy football perspective. What are some ways that you've seen fantasy leagues or fantasy players kind of get stuck in that fixed mindset, maybe maybe kind of get stuck in a cocoon and just doing things a certain way over and over and, and not really willing to change? I think the best example is probably just how long it took for people to realize that the drafting quarterbacks late was by far the best way to go. Um, and you still have a lot of commenters. Like when I published my top 150 rankings, commenters would be like, how the heck can you have Cam Newton behind Joe Mixon? You know, Joe Mixon has done nothing in the league. But any good drafter is taking Joe Mixon several rounds ahead of Cam Newton. And I think that that inability for some people to separate real-life football from fantasy football, um, that kind of can contribute to, like, you, you get stuck in, like, a cocoon mindset. Um, because Cam Newton is obviously much more valuable to any real-life NFL team than Joe Mixon right now. But in fantasy, we're trying to load up on – high value difference makers. And if Joe Mixon hits this year, he will be a far higher value difference maker than Cam Newton. Even if Cam finishes as a top five quarterback, which he usually does, Joe Mixon is going to be a much higher value difference maker than Cam Newton. Like he was a top five quarterback, but he only outscored Case Keenum by three points per game. And I think that in, in home league, a lot of you know, the casual players in the top five rounds that this would be comparable to NFL coaches who were either taught early in their coaching careers that you need to establish the run to win, or they think that it's intuitive that you need to establish the run to set up play action. But they're not looking at the data because based on all the NFL rule changes over the years and how college football is essentially the minor leagues for the NFL. And in the, in college, in the college game, they're airing it out with these air raid spread offenses. And that's where, that's where NFL players come from. I think it's become very clear that establishing the run is not what teams should be striving for. And the data clearly show correlation between establishing the run and the play action effectiveness play action plays are play fakes okay it's not the effectiveness of the of the the play action play is not based on how good your running game is how good your quarterback is a play fake so wilson was one of the best play action passers in football Uh, the seahawks had zero running game but because at executing play action fakes you know faking the handoff turning his back to the defense turning back around and stepping up in the pocket and keeping his eyes downfield, he's a great play-action passer. He doesn't need a great running game to be good. Evan, I've seen you mention this before, yeah. that you feel like the the fantasy industry is, is really one of the best resources, uh, one of the best group of analysts uh, when it comes to actual football, uh, because we're digging into that data maybe even more than you know, your typical beat writer or football analyst, maybe even for a major site. What are some ways that you've seen the fantasy football industry be innovative, be open-minded when it comes to change? And maybe that even includes something like Warren's 
new football preview that he's released? Um, yeah, I mean, clearly, like, the zero RB strategy has had a big impact, and there was a, a very innovative way of thinking, and not necessarily because zero RB is winning every league. I think that you could even argue that it's been suboptimal for the last two or three years. But I think what it's done most is open people's eyes to the fact that there isn't just one set way that we have to, that we have to draft. You know, there was, we're starting Gronk and Graham at the one, two turn, very beneficial last year. You could often get Gronk and Travis Kelturn and that would have been great. You know, I've started in leagues with four running backs in a row and had great success with that draft strategy. And I think that we've learned to be more flexible. You know, we can question the older ideas like value-based drafting and have discussions about questioning conventional industry. A lot of inner industries, one of the makes our industry a great one to be in. And, you know, just to, just to listen to all the voices and to be able to learn from guys like you and Sigmund Bloom and Rich Rebar and JJ Zacharyson, you know, you know, incredibly innovative work you know, that, that I, I love to be a part of this industry and to promote it. Evan, you do the fantasy feast with Ross Tucker, who is a friend of mine. I know well him and I did a podcast for like three years daily. I know Ross well, and I know when he's on the air, when he's blowing smoke and when he's genuinely impressed. And I've listened to probably 90% of the feasts and it's been very eye-opening to back your point up that Ross is blown away week after week with all the guests you guys line up from the fantasy community and how it overlaps and makes you a smarter football analyst overall. I mean, I think that absolutely, you know, and, and he's, I've talked to him off air about it and he's like, you know, NFL teams should be looking at, you know, using some of this information or maybe even using some of the guests that we bring on, uh, to making process, you know, everything all about decision making. All the this, you know, are we going to trade up and they put? You know, are we going to trade down? Um, sign. And how are we going to allocate our salary cap? These are all decisions. To run our offense. Are we going to give our head coach analytics in his headset? You know, are we going to try to you know carve out edges, or are we just going to you know? not really care about trying to get to the top and just try try to stay relevant every year. There's so many teams in the NFL that just want to put out a competitive, you know, a team that wins seven, they get lucky and win 11 games here and there. Ryan, you know what else is eye-opening? Simple contacts. I have them in my eyeballs as we speak. It's a really good system, a really good situation. Right now, you guys have to hit pause, go to simplecontacts.com slash dynasty if you're a contact wearer. If not, you're off the hook. But instead of going, you know, I don't have a real job. You know, all I do is football for a living. And it's still, and, and my eye doctors, I could probably walk there. And I would still rather use simple contacts than go to the eye doctor. Because it's, you know, you got to change your whole day. You got to wait there. They dilate your eyes. They screw you all up. But simple contacts is the most convenient way to renew your contact lens prescription and reorder your brand of contacts from anywhere in minutes. It's a vision care for the 21st century. You need to renew your prescription. Take five minutes simple contact vision test online. It really doesn't even take five minutes. It'll be renewed by a licensed doctor. You'll receive a renewed prescription and reorder your contacts. All you need is your current contacts, an internet connection, and 10 feet of space. Even if you're totally out of contacts, 
they've got an option for you. You have to realize this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. So they, they, only, they only test that your prescription still helps you see 2020 and renew that prescription. We don't write completely new scripts for you. So that's the only thing you need to really know. But it's very, very convenient. There are a million things demanding your time. Contact lenses should not be one of them. Contact lenses, let simple contacts lets you renew your prescription and reorder your contacts from anywhere in minutes, your couch, shore, your office, wherever you want. The simple contact vision test is self-guided and takes less than five minutes. Think of how much time you save compared to making an appointment, getting to the eye doctor, taking time off, getting babysitters, whatever. It's designed by doctors and licensed ophthalmologists. Re review every test carefully to make sure that your eyes look healthy and that your vision hasn't changed. Simple Contacts is all the brands and types of lenses you're familiar with, so you never have to shop around to find your lenses at the best price. Simple Contacts has been rated five stars over 4,500 times on the App Store. It's summer, and there's no shortage of reasons to have extra contacts on hand at the beach, at the pool, whatever. Fourth of July, you know, someone out there is going to lose a contact today. Use Simple Contact to stock up for the season. So the vision test is only 20 bucks. Compare that to an appointment, which can be up to, what, 200 something like that. Contact lens prices are very, very low and unbeatable. Standard shipping is free. And best of all, we're offering this wonderful promotion for our listeners. You go to simplecontacts.com slash dynasty and you'll repeat you get $20 off just by using our simplecontacts.com slash dynasty link do it right now Evan let's move into some rookie talk uh, one thing that I think is really impressive about the work that you do is you're able to kind of shift your mindset a little bit obviously in season you're focusing on uh, your teams and and DFS and things like that and then as soon as the uh, off season begins it seems that you shift your focus to the incoming rookie class. And, and I think I've heard you say that you don't get to watch a ton of college games, but you're able to catch up pretty quickly. And that's, that's evident by um, your work this year. You had the, the top overall uh, NFL mock draft. So obviously you got a pretty good uh, hold and a pretty good understanding on this incoming class. Just tell us a little bit about, I guess your process early in that offseason, because I do think a lot of dynasty players are in that same position that they focus on the NFL, they focus on their teams, and then when it's rookie time, that's when they start to really pay attention to these players. How are you able to catch up so quickly? Yeah, I used to be able to watch college, and I had a kid, and <laughs> yeah. I can't watch a season anymore. I have to go back and, and watch everything after the season. For Roto World, you know, I write all of our draft day blurbs. We do a blurb on every guy who gets drafted on the day of the draft. Uh, they come out immediately after each pick. And so to make that process much more efficient, uh, about five or six years ago, I started making pre-written blurbs with you know, looking at stuff like college production, athleticism, uh, game days. And so the guys in, you know, January, February, April, I'm looking up stats. I'm reading everything that guys like Matt Waldman and, and Lance Zierlein and Josh Norris put out. I'm binge watching the guys play. And I'm not just doing that for skill position players. Obviously I'm doing that for defensive players and offensive linemen too. Although I've kind of stopped watching too many offensive linemen uh, other than the really top guys uh, but that's my process for, for getting caught up. It's really just January through, you know, mid-April, putting together all, 
all these pre-written blurbs that we're going to put on the Roto World site every time that somebody gets drafted. We are, you know, all you have to do is search it. All, all the writer uh, has to do is search in this document, pull the the pre-written below, you know, Bill selected Wyoming QB Josh Allen at number seven overall just plug in that that pre-written blurb uh, and that makes the the draft experience more fun for us because you know we used to be like, like hurrying to to you know come up with any any information especially like you know on the on day three sometimes we haven't even barely heard of guys uh, but now that we have the pre-written blurbs it makes us a lot uh, more efficient and it's a great way for me to figure out all the stuff that happened during the college football season and, and learn about the players. And I really just have a, a passion for learning about players. So that pre-draft process kind of comes natural to me. So you, you recently uh, released in a two, ep- two-part episode on the Fantasy Feast, your top 50 rookie rankings. And I know this was this, – I guess this was almost immediately post-draft. So – Maybe some of your opinions have changed on some of these players since, but I, I took your rankings. I compared them to the current rookie ADP at MFL, and you've got a few players that you stand out on in either direction, uh, either you're, you're lower or you're higher on. just want to get your, your takes on some of these guys and what's, what's either pushing them down your board or maybe up your board. I, I know you talked about, players that are, are good bets or bad bets, players that you want to bet on. And that's kind of your mindset for this off season. So the first one, I guess we could say you consider him a bad bet. Dallas Goddard in your rankings, he's 15 spots lower than ADP. We, we know the story with him. He was one of the uh, highest ranked tight ends pre-draft. And then he lands with the Eagles behind Zach Ertz. So talk to us a little bit about Dallas Goddard. I mean, you're going to need Zach Ertz to like get injured for, for this guy to be a fantasy factor. You know, uh, Zach Ertz is under contract for several more years at very reasonable base. He's owed like $7 million a year for the next like three or four years the, about getting their young talent locked up to long deals, which are actually the player, but they're great for the management. And that's what they did with Zach Ertz. So, how is Dallas Goddard going to become a big time fantasy contributor? He already plays a devalued position. I mean, it it was a great real life pick for the Eagles. It's, it's a really bad barring injury to Zach Ertz. Dallas Goddard is really going to struggle to make any, any fantasy impact. So he, he's not someone that I'm. The next two players, I kind of group these guys together. A couple of quarterbacks, Josh Allen, 11 spots lower in your rankings. Josh Rosen, 10 spots lower in your rankings. Uh, Of course, we've heard a lot of criticism about Josh Allen as a player, as a prospect. Uh, The Bills clearly think he can be their franchise quarterback. And then the same can be said with Rosen in Arizona. Is the lower ranking for you kind of what you talked about earlier with Cam Newton, just, just devaluing the quarterback position, or is it more about these two specific players? Yeah, the the position is definitely devalued. So um, I was probably going to start out in consensus ADP anyway on these guys. Um, Josh Allen wasn't good in college. 
and and that's an issue. You know, <laughs> do guys that are not good in college NFL players? That's a really low probability bet. So he's playing a devalued position, ability prospect. You know, look, the, I, I'm not saying that he's 100% a bust. He might be like you know 70% or something like that. But I, I don't, I you know, I don't, I don't know why you why you try to invest in Josh Allen, unless you're in a two quarterback league, you know, a two quarterback dynasty league, then I, I guess it makes sense. But you know, I don't even play in any of those. I, I know that they're becoming more popular and that, that's great. Um, but, you know, from my mindset, I just, I, I don't really see it. Josh Rosen, um, you know, I like him as a prospect. I think that he is a higher probability prospect, but the situation around him isn't very good and he adds nothing with his legs. At least Josh Allen has sort of the potential, although he wasn't even a very good scrambler at Wyoming. He is a good athlete, but Josh Rosen is going to add nothing with his legs. So he has to become like a dominant passer to really be a factor in fantasy football I think he's going to be a good pro. I really do. But the path to becoming, you know, a difference, I think, is is difficult to envision for Josh Rosen. One note on Allen, and he kind of touched on it, is I'm very, very low on him. If I was an NFL GM, there's zero chance he'd be on my team. But I think he's far more valuable in fantasy than he is real world. And he's not a Cam Newton-like scrambler like some have compared him to. But I do think he'll run, and I think he's going to be on the field. You know, the Bills like him. And it doesn't matter if we like him, if they like him. I think he has more value than, you know, like in these rookie drafts than people give him credit for because he's not really good at football. (laughs) Just odd. Evan, two other players on your list that maybe the consensus was higher on than you. And I grouped these two guys together. Uh, because I saw a pattern. I wondered if you did as well. Deion Kane, uh, you're nine spots lower than that ADP. Equinemia St. Brown, you're seven spots lower. Uh, both of these guys, obviously pretty big names. If you have followed college football, you've, you've probably been well aware of them for a while now. They were both top recruits, but they had disappointing college careers at Clemson, at Notre Dame, respectively. And for both players, there were wide receivers drafted above them on their own team. Fountain in uh, ahead of Kane for the Colts, and then the Packers took a couple guys before they took St. Brown. But fantasy players are still holding on to hope for these bigger names. What's your take on Kane and St. Brown? Yeah, they were both drafted into situations where they could get great quarterback play. So that makes them interesting, at least. But as you mentioned, they were drafted by teams that are just throwing darts at the wide receiver position. Um, with Deion Kane, you mentioned that, that Fountain went ahead of him. Like the team, this player was drafted by, had a higher evaluation on another player at the same position and they drafted this guy. Deion Kane was a disappointment at Clemson. You know, look, I, I, I think he's a low probability guy. He's not a guy that I want to bet on. Equanimia St. Brown, you know, played at a huge school looks the part, uh, was that huge recruit, had a pretty good season before last year with the Sean Kaiser and preseason DFS, but 
they took two guys ahead of Equinemia St. Brown in Jamon Moore and um, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. So, look, I, I, I understand why people are intrigued by Equinemia St. Brown, but he went to a situation where the team has better evaluations on two guys that they took in the same position over him as a concern. Is this guy even he, – he won't play special teams and he won't stretch. So how do you make an NFL roster as a fourth, fifth, sixth receiver if you don't play special teams? That doesn't happen. Yeah, I think it's a fair concern or fair question that he'll even make that roster. And and some fantasy owners are still spending uh, third-round picks on him. So that was the tough one for me. I loved him throughout his college career. And even pre-draft, he was my – I think he was my wide receiver too, pre-draft. But we can't always hold on to those things. When, when NFL teams tell us things like this, we've got to take it into account. And it's really becoming a trend that these tall – A.J. Green body type guys that aren't as good as A.J. Green are falling in the draft. You know, outside the numbers, kind of one-dimensional, don't help on special teams, not great route runners. Evan, let's look at some players that you are higher on than consensus. Um, the first one and the, and the biggest one is Justin Watson. You're fifth, you've got him 15 spots higher than that uh, MFL ADP. Uh, of course, he lands in Tampa Bay. What do you like about Justin Watson? Yeah, I think that Justin Watson is a draft pick, but I think that he's a good one. The situation in Tampa Bay looks murky on paper right now, but it can clarify pretty quickly. Um, I think that we all expect Chris Godwin to hit, you know, right now. That's not necessarily a guarantee, but it's an expectation that I have. Deshaun Jackson, I think he's likely to be cut after this season because doing so would save the Bucks like $10 million under the salary cap. Um, Cameron Brait, his contract is looks big, but if you actually look at the details of it, he's going to be here uh, pretty soon. And then Adam Humphreys is already year to year on a one-year deal. So the situation can become a lot less muddy very quickly, Justin Watson checks boxes for athleticism, production. Um, you know, he's a smart player, and I think the kind of player that I want to use a late third or fourth round rookie dynasty pick on. All right, Evan, let's let's wrap up with one more of these guys. Je- uh, Jordan Wilkins, Indianapolis running back, is another player you're higher on the consist- consensus. 14 spots higher than the ADP. Of course, he's competing with Marlon Mack, competing with another rookie, Naheem Hines. What do you see in Wilkins? He the Colts in carries in year one. I mean, he's just as good as he was the same guy that he was at USF. He hit long runs. He hit six long runs, uh, six runs of 20 plus yards, which was, I think 11th in the NFL, but he was constantly, you know, dancing in the backfield. He had critical fumbles. He cost the Colts a game 
last year uh, against the Titans with a fumble uh, deep in the Colts in Colts territory. Wasn't very good in pass protection. You know, he's got big play, but he's he's a very inconsistent player. I think it would be a kind way to describe him. And I was recovering from like major shoulder surgery, missed the entire offseason under a new coaching staff. That new coaching staff played a major role in selecting Jordan Wilkins. And Jordan Wilkins, you know, I love Naheem Hines. Naheem Hines is not a feature back. Jordan Wilkins has a chance to be an NFL feature back in an offense quarterback by Andrew Luck. He's someone that I'm willing for ahead of ADP because, you know, his value could like grow exponentially in the matter of like four games or even training camp or preseason if he's starting to get first team reps and Marlon Mack is kind of, you know, looking like a change of pace back, which I think is probably Marlon Mack's best role in the NFL as opposed to being a featured runner. Jordan Wilkins does have that in his range of potential outcomes, though, to become a, a sort of a workhorse back. Matt, what do you think on on the Wilkins versus uh, Naheem Hines conversation? Do you, are, are, are these both guys you want to have on your roster? Yes, although for dynasty reasons, I fear that their feature back might not be on the team yet. You know, that maybe they use a second round pick on a guy next year, an early second, something like that, or sign Tevin Coleman or whoever. Um, I am not a, a Moore fan at all, but I think the complementary pieces between Hines and Wilkins could be really strong, especially Hines, because I think they're a really bad team. I think their defense might be the worst in the league, and they're going to be playing from behind a lot. And they don't have receivers. I think he could be their Duke Johnson, you know, and, and really be their true slot receiver. Are, are you referring to Hines there? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, thanks so much, Evan, for joining us today. We always appreciate your takes. And and we know everyone is already following you on Twitter at evansilva.com. If somehow you're not doing that, make sure you change that. Check out Evan's team previews he's got a ton of those uh, around 20 of those already released at rotoworld.com and the rest are coming soon so check those out thanks again to evan we'll be back next week with more dynasty blueprint